Well, last week we began looking at the first three verses of, of the Gospel of John. And let's look at those once again this morning as we, as we begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We, we, we begin our section here in, in, the, in the Gospel of John by, by John just starting off at the very beginning that Christ is God. Look here and, and, and see that, that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's, as, he, as he writes this letter to be able to say, and this is who Christ is and this is what he has done, as he brings the gospel to us, he just begins by saying, you've you got to know that he is God, that he's God, that he is deity, that he is the fullness of deity. John, who, who tells us that he's the disciple in whom Jesus loved, and John, who, who would just lay his head in, in Jesus' chest as, as, as they would recline together, John, who, who ran to the tomb to see that Jesus had risen again from the dead. John writes this letter and just saying, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So we begin with the deity of Christ. He goes from here to verse 4 and we'll look at verses 4 through 9 this morning. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, that all through him might believe. And he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So the apostle says in him in him was life. All life comes from God. You think of, of God creating Adam and Eve and, and God creates Adam and he takes him from the dust of the earth and then he breathes into him and gives him the breath of life. He breathed life into Adam. But even more importantly, God alone can give spiritual life to those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. We see that that God alone is self-existent. He's the uncreated one. He's not dependent upon anything or anyone. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He alone is the eternal source of life. And so John just begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then comes to verse 4, in him was life. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the uncreated one that gives life. You, you look at this and, and John is writing this wanting us just to have just a gigantic view of who God is. You think of, of how precious life is. And to look at this and say, 
John's thinking not simply of life and that God makes those alive. But he uses a word, zoe, which refers primarily to spiritual or eternal life. And so John immediately goes from this is God, Christ, who came and created all things to in him was life. In him. In him is the ability to make us alive. You see in in Scripture that God makes it very clear that that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 to verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Here you you see Paul talking about the deadness of us as, as people. And what Christ has done for us. In verse 1 he says, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, a spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you begin to look at what it is that God has done for us, these words that, that John gives us are, are just incredibly powerful. In him was life, Zoe. It was spiritual life. That's where it comes from. We were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's important for us to understand that theological side of this, that what is man's condition? Who is man? Who are we? What, what is our circumstances prior to being saved? And that is, God tells us, you're dead. You're dead. You may be breathing. You may think you're alive. You may think that you're okay. But spiritually, you're dead. He tells us from there, giving us details of it. You, you were dead. You walked according to the course of this world. You did whatever was right in your own eyes. You just walked in accordance with what feels good. What do I want to do? What does my flesh tell me to do? You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, or according to Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all, every one of us, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're by nature children of wrath. Just powerful. You look, I mean, just children, children of wrath. Our, 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 our destination was eternity apart from him. And you, and you look and, and you see what it is that Christ has done for us. To think that we were just dead spiritually, we weren't seeking after him, we weren't desiring him. We were walking in accordance to whatever we thought was right. And to think that, that Christ, the creator of all things, the one who is eternal, the uncreated one, the one who has always existed is the one who had life within him to give to us, to cause us to be made alive. There came that moment of salvation in 
for some of you, it, it may be different than for others. Some of you have this, this, this clarity to know, like, okay, I was saved on May 12th, or I was saved on September 10th, or I was saved on whatever day, and it was this year, and this is when I became a Christian. And, and you, you saw just this radical change take place in you from that point on. Others of you, like myself, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I, I grew up believing the gospel. My parents taught us this is who God is. This is what he has done. Here's his word. Read it. And, and so we grew up in just a gospel-centered home. And I, I know there was a point in which God saved me. But I can't tell you when that was exactly. I know there was times in which my life and my faith were challenged in just incredible ways. But whether it was at that point that God saved me, I'm not sure. But I know that he did. I know that, 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 that he takes my heart, he took my heart and he changed it. And he gave me different affections and a desire to please him. You, you see the world in which that's not the case at all. You know who you were prior to being a Christian. And you know that that was not the case. You lived according to your flesh, the desires of your flesh. But to think that we were in a place of being children of wrath, we were in a place of being in a, in a position in which the wrath of God was to be placed fully upon us and it was just and it was right for a holy God to do that. And to think that through the quickening of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ, he made you alive radically changed you. We talk about it as, as Jesus entering into our hearts or the point in which we were saved. But Paul here in this particular passage says he made you alive. He gave you life. Made you so that you were forgiven of your sins and trespasses. Made it so that you were filled and clothed with the very righteousness of Christ but specifically took you and made you spiritually alive. And for John, this is of an utmost priority to be able to say, and this is who God is, and this is what he's done. James Montgomery Boyce on this section says, what a past is described in these verses, referring to Ephesians. What a condition In our natural state, we can do nothing to improve ourselves spiritually. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, no man has ever breathed one breath towards God, nor had one spiritual heartbeat. Man is dead in sin. He needs a new life. This is why we must be born again. Being born again means receiving a new life from God through our Lord Jesus Christ by faith in Him. So his response is. What a past is described in these verses. Dead. Dead. Every one of us, dead. Yet we've been born again. This idea of of being made alive is found all throughout the Gospel of John and throughout Scripture. But it's thematic, both what we'll look at this morning being that he has given us life and that he is the light. Both of these are found intertwined throughout the entire Gospel of John. It's, it's something where he is just passionate about this. You look and, and, and you think of this life that has been given. Um, do you remember that, that, that 
time in biblical history where the Israelites are being bitten by the snakes. And so they're dying. They're dying as these snakes are biting them. And, and God tells Moses to take this, this bronze serpent and to, to put it there in the midst of the camp. And when someone gets bit by a snake, they're there to just to go look at it. I look in, in we, I've gone to Africa several times, and one of the, the things that you, you think about a lot is, is snakes there because they're, they're everywhere. I, I was warned about it in the first, on my first trip, like, hey, you, you're going to, there's snakes there. There's like these spitting vipers. They'll, they'll spit into your eyes, and they'll, they'll, they'll sometimes hit your watch because they think your watch is your eye, and, and then they attack, and there's these translucent scorpions, and they bite. you got to be careful of those. And I'm like, ah. you know. But in my mind, I'm thinking, it's not going to happen. I mean, there's no, I'm not going to see a snake or a translucent scorpion. You know, like they're telling me all the bad things. The first, within the first two days that I was there, I went and I stepped on the mat in front of my tent, and I hear a and there was like a, a, a viper underneath my mat in front of my tent. And and then I, I lifted my tent up, and there was a translucent scorpion underneath it. And I'm like, well, you guys are for real, aren't you, you know? I asked Dr. Juventine, like, what would you do? Like, if, if, I got, if I got bit by one of those black mambas or one of those green mambas, like, what would you do to, to help me? And he said, I would just tell you to get a shovel. And I'm thinking, like, is there, like, a root? Like, was there a special root that I'm going to eat? Like, what? I said, why a shovel? He says, so you can dig your grave. He's like, you're not going to live. You get bit by one of those things, you're not going to live. And you look at this, and I don't know what kind of snake it was, but there's snakes that are biting God's people, and they're dying. And so he says, take a serpent, a bronze serpent, put it in the midst of the camp. And when they look on it, they will be healed. Then you look at, at, at John 3 and, and, and verse 14. It says, and as, Moses was lifted, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John 3, 14, if you want to turn there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, what? Everlasting life. Think of that. Christ, as we see here in, in, in John 1, 4, in him was life. In him was spiritual life. In him was the ability to take those who were dead in their sins and trespasses and make us spiritually alive. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, Christ tells us. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just as they would look upon that bronze serpent and be saved. It wasn't by digging up a root. It wasn't by doing anything else. It was looking at the serpent that was there in the midst of the camp. Likewise, Christ would be lifted up. He would become sin for us. That upon looking at him, by faith alone in him, he gives us eternal life. Everlasting life. Life. The magnitude of what we're talking about will be something in which we will just bask in for all eternity. I assure you of that. 
I assure you that, that millions and millions of years from now, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be there in heaven knowing what it is that he has given you as far as eternal life. Knowing what it means to have God himself, the creator of all life, to be able to take us who are spiritually dead and make us, make us alive. In him was life. He did it. We could go around this room in a sanctuary and talk about how God saved each and every one of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of you has a different story. But one of my favorite questions to ask people is, how did God save you? What were the circumstances in which God saved you? And to be able to go through, and every one of you who's a believer here this morning has a testimony, and you think like, okay, this is how he saved me. You know, my, my grandma ministered to me. I was at this church meeting or my friend shared the gospel with me or there was this incredibly hard time that was in my life and this is what God did. We all have a story as far as what it is that God has done for us. But you look and and you see in scripture where it wasn't because of us. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. He's called you. He's made you alive. And it wasn't many that were wise. Not many that were mighty. Not many noble are called. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Why? Because God made you alive. He took you, and you were blind, and you were dead, and you were unable to do anything on your own, and he quickened you by the grace of his Holy Spirit and made you alive in Christ through faith in him. So something that John talks about throughout the entirety of this gospel. For example, in John three thirty six, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You believe in the Son, you have what? Everlasting life. In John six thirty nine. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at that last day. Whoever believes in him has what? Everlasting life, and he will raise him up at that last day. The power of that. I think of... of when that time comes, when we die physically here on earth and we breathe our last, what, is it going to look for, what will it look like for us? Immediately being made alive, brought from that place of our final breath here to spend eternity with him in heaven. Everlasting life. 
In John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. You hear it as, 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 as John talks about why I wrote this gospel. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You might have life. In 1 John 5.11, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. And he who has a Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. One of the members of our church, Glenn Inamoto, called this week saying my dad's not doing well. And his dad was 90, 96, I think. And asked if, if we could come over and, and just pray with him. And he's someone who I grew up seeing, this, this man, Henry Inamoto. I don't know that I'm related to him technically. Do you want to hear the detail? He's Japanese, but it is my dad's, sister's, ex-husband's dad. So he was always at the family gatherings. I'd see him there. And he was happy, and he would sit there, and I remember watching him as a kid growing up, but he didn't know the Lord. And here he is, and He's in his final days here on earth. And the Lord had George Agawa come and be at his bedside, pray with him, but just share the gospel to him and with total clarity in Japanese. And you think of God's good providence. I mean, I... I'm half Japanese, but the extent of my Japanese is like Mitsubishi and Toyota. <laughs> That's all I got. California roll. I got that. My Japanese is very, very limited, clearly, as you can tell. But George took Japanese in, in school growing up, and it isn't fluent, but is able to, to speak enough, and... And at 96 years old, Mr. Inamoto just kind of lit up as George was speaking to him in Japanese. Passion that, if, if, you, if you know George, I mean, he goes and visits people at hospitals, and hospitals but he just, man, he, he just loves the gospel. I mean, he just, you know, do they know Christ? Well, now's the time. Let's share it with them. Let's, you know, and, and just goes to the person like, you need to know right now where you're going to go. You need to know the gospel. Here it is. And to be able to communicate that to him in Japanese. And I, I don't know the response. He listened. He lit up. He heard the gospel. But to think that God can take someone at, at 96 years old who is just about ready to go home to be with the Lord, in which he did the next day, passed away, but to hear the gospel and to think that God could take that heart and just, by faith in him, make it alive. 
to have God in his good providence bring someone who probably begrudgingly went to Japanese as a kid to learn certain words so that he could be there to some, for someone at 96 years old and just be able to speak in Japanese and say, here's the gospel. And God makes you alive. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Simple. He who has the Son has life. You're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have life. You don't have the Son. You don't believe in Him. God tells you, not me. God tells you from His Word. You do not have life. You may think that you're okay. You may think that everything's fine. But God says, no, you're spiritually dead. Those who have the Son have life. You don't have the Son. You don't have life. In verse 4, it continues on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it, or it could be translated, and the darkness did not overtake it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It was the light. Christ, in him was life, and in his life it was the light to men. To be able to show us who it is that God is. To be able to show us our sin. To be able to show us what is true. To be able to show us right is, what is right. In him was life and that life was the light of men. And that light shined in the darkness. Look in 1 John 1.5 it says, This is the message which you have heard from him and, declared to you, and I declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see it in, in scripture over and over again that Jesus is light. That God is light. This particular passage in particular, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And you look and you hear, as we, as we talked about last Sunday, the deity of Christ and arguments for the deity of Christ. That passage is so clear. In him was light. Is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we find this passage referring to Christ. In him was life and that life was the light of men. You'll find it all throughout the gospel that Jesus is the light. Once again, referring to his deity. It's thematic throughout all scripture. In Psalm 104 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, the psalmist says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Stretch out the heavens like a curtain. You, you, just, you cover yourself with light. You see it in heaven where it tells us there's no need for the sun anymore. Because Christ is there shining in all of his glory. He is, he is light. He refers to himself as light over and over again. And there's no darkness at all. You look in, in Scripture and what you'll find is light is referring to truth. It's referring to holiness. It's referring to Christ. It's referring to those things that are good, those things that are, are righteous. Darkness is referring to, to, to falsity. God, darkness is referring to the untruth. It's referring to, to, to wickedness. It's referring to sin. It's referring to deception. And here we, we look at the, this contrast. John's just saying, in him is life, and that life is the light of men. He's light. It 
Jesus spoke in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so you look at us as, as, as sinners, and, and God says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. To shine. To shine in your hearts. To reveal truth. To reveal holiness. To expose sin. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what took place. You became a Christian. And as in, in, in God revealing himself to you, he made the light go on to where you who maybe never saw yourself as a sinner in desperate need of grace. God exposed it. God showed it. God, the light came on and all of a sudden you were able to see and look and say, I'm a sinner. I am. I'm in desperate, desperate need of, of salvation. To be able to expose sin and to be able to change you. I was with some in-laws of a member of our church here and, and there when a family member was passing away and most of the in-laws were unbelievers, but to hear them talk about one of the, the, the husband in this particular family saying, I think one of the greatest evidences that God exists was the way that this man changed. Talking about one of the members of our church. So it's just one of the greatest evidences that there must be a God is how that man changed from the time that he was an unbeliever to the time that he was a believer. And may that be said of all of us. This change that took place, light came. It exposed the darkness. It enabled us to see our sin. It enabled us to be able to see that we are in desperate need of a Savior. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. From here, we come to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light, meaning Christ, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So the Apostle John shifts, and when you'll find in the gospel, John never refers to himself. He'll refer to himself as the one in whom Jesus loved. But when you look and he says, he mentions John, he's referring to John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's just gone through and said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, describing Christ, without a doubt, is deity. But then shifts gears here and says, now let's talk about the one who is a witness to him, John the Baptist. There was a man very different from Christ, who is God himself. But there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light. John had been prophesied of far before in Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
find a couple times in the Old Testament where it's looking ahead to this forerunner of Christ who would be John the Baptist. Mark in his gospel just begins by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's how Mark just begins. Here's the gospel. Begins by me telling you about John the Baptist. God says, I'm going to send a messenger before your face. He'll prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him. And all were, they were all baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. It says, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was a witness to the light. When John was there talking about Christ, he's saying, there's someone that's coming after me. I'm the one that's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. There's someone coming after me, and he's mightier than me. His sandal strap, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to go down and to stoop down and loosen it. I'm not even worthy to go down and just loosen his sandal strap. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light. But likewise for us. When we talk about Christ, we're here to bear witness to the light. When John's here saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he just he wants to bring us to a place of seeing the one in whom life comes from. He wants to bring us to a place of seeing the one in whom light comes from, the one who is the source of light, the one who is truth, and the one who is holy, and the one who is perfect. It's not to be about us. It's something that I, I try to be intentional of. Is just You'll find in the preaching of God's word, for all those who teach at our church, I, we, we talk about this. Like, as our youth ministry... And Pastor Jeff teaches the youth ministry, or as Chris and others teach the, the young adults ministry, or as the midweek studies being taught, or the women's studies that take place, or the men's study that took place. We don't want our congregation leaving and feeling like they know us really well. It's, it's not to be about us. It's not to be about all the stories that are going on in our lives so that you know a whole lot about us. I mean, you'll hear stories here and there, sneezes in the face and things like that. But it's not the primary goal of what we're doing here. We're here to point you to him. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the teacher. It's not about you. It's pointing people to him. It's bringing people to a place of being able to see him. Someone called me this morning, or this, this last week, saying, high school student that they're counseling that is thinking or is, is dating an unbeliever. What do you do? Like, how do you make them not do that? And, I mean, obviously, like, there could be rules and set up. You see in Scripture where God says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness 
And what communion has light with darkness? But for any of you who have raised teenagers, you know that you could tell them, like, okay, like, you can't do this. And let me see your phone. And you can't have your phone. And, I mean, we could try to shelter them the best we can and make all kinds of rules around them. But this particular kid will be 18 and just less than two years. So at that point, some of our role would, would, would change as parents. But my response to them was, honestly, like, your heart should be geared towards causing your child to treasure Christ more than that relationship. Just to reveal Christ to them. To teach Christ to them. Just... And I pray that that's how it would be for all of us. Whether you're in high school and trying to decide if you should date or who you should date or whether you should obey or whether you should go to parties and drink or do whatever it is or whether you're an adult and you're struggling in marriage or you're struggling in business or you're trying to just have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ or whether it is that you're, you're struggling with what you're seeing on the computer or you're struggling with any myriad of other kinds of sins, ultimately, my prayer is that you would treasure Christ, that you would treasure Christ more than the sin. That you'd look at this and just say, he's the creator of all that exists. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's always existed. He knows all things. He gives eternal life to those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. He's light. He he has no part with darkness at all. He is righteous and holy. He tells us what it is to please him. He tells you that he, he has brought you to the light and you're to walk in the light and not to be part of the darkness at all. He's done this and he's made it so that you have everlasting life and you get to spend eternity with him. And he's clothed you with robes of righteousness and he's taken away your sin and he's made you a new creation and the Holy Spirit has come inside you and he's radically transformed you and he's changed your affections and he's changed your heart and he's molding and conforming you into his image and he began a good work in you and he'll be faithful to complete it. So why would you want to bask yourself in sin in which he died for? You don't want to do that. You want to please him. You want to come to the light and to see the light and to see who he is and see what it is that pleases him and have it be where the result is I don't want to date somebody that God says not to do that with. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to partake in that sin. I don't want to live a life that doesn't please him. I want to please him because I love him, because I adore him. If you're struggling with sin, what's the best thing that you can do? I'll just tell you, like, treasure Christ. Study him. Learn of him. Grow in him. Go to the light. See it on a regular basis. Feast on him to make it so that the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Feast on him. May we be those that are a witness to Christ, to bear witness of the light, that all through our witness might believe. He was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, Christ, which gives light to every man coming 
into the world. He does it. In John 3, 19, it says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Here's the condemnation. That the light, Christ, has come into the world. John's talking about that in John 1. But here's the condemnation. Men love darkness rather than the light. Rejected him. They hated him. Why? Well, God tells us because their deeds were evil. Everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And I'll tell you this morning, run to him. Run to him. Run to the light. You don't want the condemnation. You want eternal life. You want everlasting life. You want to run to the light as God commands light to shine out of darkness, to shine in your hearts this morning. And he does that. He is the source of it. He is the light. To bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to you this morning. It may be on this morning that God saves you. God exposes your sin and God shows you your incredible need of a savior, forgiveness of sin. He is the light and he is the life and he is the one that reveals himself like that. And so John begins by telling us, this is your God. This is who you serve. Let's come to him in prayer right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, perfect, perfect light in whom there is no darkness at all without sin, without corruption, without anything that is evil. Perfectly holy, perfectly good. You show us who you are and you shine so brightly to give us a knowledge of you. You take hearts that are dead and you make them come alive. You take us who were dead in our sins and trespasses and make us alive so that we might spend eternity with you. We praise you, Lord, for being the one who gives spiritual life and we praise you for being the one who revealed to us our spiritual deadness and made it so that we were drawn unto you. It's all as a result of your grace in our lives. And may that, may that turn to hearts that don't want to walk in darkness anymore. May that transfer into hearts that, that love the light and that are drawn to the light and that want to spend time with you and living holy lives and being in a place of knowing truth and knowing you. And may it all ignite within our hearts just passion to praise you. And we do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.